I'm Anya, and I spent decades compartmentalizing and suppressing the different parts of myself. I woke up at age 40 exhausted, confused, and completely out of alignment. These days, I am definitely not your run-of-the-mill bored housewife. So if you are tired of the shame narrative around sex and pleasure, and you're ready to be all facets of yourself, let's create sexual alchemy. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, friends. It is so good to be with you again. Today, I have such a distinct pleasure to have a guest on that has touched my heart really deeply. You may have had a chance to listen into an episode that was a solo shortly after or around Thanksgiving, where I discussed a journey that I took to a training that was put on by the International School of Temple Arts. And at that training, there was an event organizer who had created such a beautiful space for us to be a safe space, a wonderful container. And he also happened to be a group facilitator at that training. And he was my group facilitator. So at that particular training, and at probably every ISTA training, you break into small groups and your small group becomes your little family for the week. And I could not have been more honored and more pleased to end up with Philippe Lewis as my guide, as my facilitator, and as the leader of our group. And from the moment I met him, actually in the chats leading up to the training, I just knew that he was going to be an incredibly warm soul, very welcoming, and that he was going to change something inside of me. And sure enough, he sure did. So I'm so pleased that he decided to come on today and to talk with me about his own journey through his own sexual alchemy that he is also sharing with us all the beautiful work he does in the space. And I just couldn't be more thrilled to introduce this audience to my friend and a beloved, beloved person. Enjoy your time with Philippe Lewis. Ah, Philippe, so good to see you. Uh, it's good to see you as well, or hear you, I guess, since the, you're yeah, doing this I uh, guess audio. We get to see each other via <laughs> Zoom, but nobody else will get the benefit of that. But yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful. Wonderful to have you here. I'm so grateful you were, were willing to come on the show and talk a little yeah. bit about your your own life story, your own sexual alchemization of sorts. And so just thank you so much for being here and agreeing to be a part of the show. <laughs> thank you. That feels really good. Good. So as we kind of talked about a, a minute ago, just kind of wanting to get a little bit of your own personal narrative, a little bit of your life story that you feel is relevant <laughs> to your own journey through sexual exploration, sexual acceptance, that sort of thing. Take it back to where you feel is a kicking off point for that. And just tell us a little bit about who Philippe Lewis is and where where you originated and, and who you are today. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Like it, you, depending on when you start the story, it can change the story radically. So now I get to pick where am I starting the story this time around that mm -hmm. somebody's asking me. And, and what, what is it going to sound like? And I really have no idea. Uh, so, uh, so let's, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. <clears throat> so I, 
So I was born in Canada to uh, to a father who is essentially white collar. So he's an engineer. My mom was a homemaker. Um, you know, I had one sister who's two years younger. Had a pretty chill, very simple, you know, very simple childhood. Nothing, nothing traumatic. In fact, if I do the ACE test, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experience, I get a big fat zero. You know, there's no moment in my life where I've ever. Uh, I've ever looked at my parents and felt like they betrayed me or they lied. So, <clears throat> and I recognize this is a very, very, very yeah, uh, privileged, privilege, very privileged yeah. position. Uh, it is, it's very, most people have some version of uh, greater than zero when you look at the ACE test. And the ACE test essentially is our bad things that can happen to, to, to us as children, uh, including like one, you know, one member of your household or your family went to, went to, prison or commit suicide or the uh, terrible illness or stuff like that so you know I grew up you know feeling pretty good about living and uh, and uh, so went into computer science as a as because my dad was an engineer so you know mm-hmm. fixing things and understand how things work was is always part of my uh, always part of my you know being in my family <clears throat> and did not was not ever really, really close to my sister. So I went into computer science for at school because one of my uncles gave me a personal computer when personal computers had just come out in the in the 80s. And um, so I did that, um, you know, started working after college. And then, and then uh, you know, the company I was working for decided to send me to California to, uh, <clears throat> you know, to learn some, some aspect of computer programming. Mm-hmm. So I did that. Turned out, turns out I hooked up with a girl in my class, which was very unlikely for me. Uh, and, <laughs> and sort of like kind of got into this place into my body where, where I was like, wow, this, this is what it feels to feel really good in my body in a completely different land, mm-hmm. in a completely different place. And California for us Canadians felt like this sort of you know, sort of fantasy place where Hollywood is and the sun and palm trees are. <clears throat> and so I remember thinking, wow, this this feels really good. Like I would love to live in a different place that feels like getting away from the small town mentality of Canada and, and Quebec and, and Montreal. Mm-hmm. And so literally a few, you know, I came back and started sending my, my resume out and literally Three months later, I found a job and I moved to California just a month or two after that. And in the dead of winter, just before the, what they call it, the, the blizzard of 96, which here translated into rains, you know, nine days out of 10 for, for a few months. So I moved here just before the dot-com boom started mm-hmm. and, you know, doing computer stuff. So completely unrelated sexuality. Uh, but there was there was something about California that that drew me, and it wasn't just the dot com boom about to happen. It was there was some some feeling of um, of potential. There's some some sense like there's something about innovation in California, especially in Northern California, uh, that that gives a sense that something big is about to happen. And it wasn't just a dot com boom. There's something uh, there's something about the culture and something about uh, what's coming in the culture. So I moved. I found a girlfriend. We worked together for six years. Um, did more computer work. Didn't like it. Eventually, eventually, uh, you know, switched jobs for another software company. And 
I went to Burning Man for the first time. And that sort of gave me a sense of, wow, this is what it feels like. Not just now, now I know why I'm in in California. There's a sense of freedom that I was missing from my life. Mm -hmm. Like there was, there was too much cultural structure around me in, in, in Canada and Quebec. And I moved out of that to be in a more free environment, a freer environment. And now I go to Burning Man and I, and I get a sense that there's even more freedom. Yeah. So I go to Burning Man have my cherry pop so to speak around <laughs> art and freedom and and uh and 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 a sense of artistry that i didn't have before mm-hmm. and then i joined i joined the following year i joined a camp called the burning mount opera which is all about people going through a, a sort of sort of an artistic spiritual experience <clears throat> which then uh which then um led me to meet this group called uh, the the Mystic Family Circus at uh, in San Francisco, and their their whole thing was creating ritual performance, which was mm. very similar to what I just done at Burning Man. And they they sort of hired me in a small group of my of my subgroup as part of my Burning Man camp to come and do a scene in this ritual performance they were going to do. And as we were as we were rehearsing for that performance. At some point after rehearsal, we go to a taqueria with some friends who are part of the same subgroup by, uh, uh, that, that got hired. And we start talking and one of the guys I'm sitting with says, oh, I'm going to the sex party uh, you know, this weekend. And I, and I turn immediately and I'm thinking, what is that? <laughs> like that makes sense to me. It makes sense that this would happen in San Francisco because of the culture. But I've never, like, I really want to know more about that. So I get invited. I go to the sex party. Mostly it's a bunch of people that are older than me that I would not want to have sex with, uh, which is fine because, you know, they were having a good time. Yeah. And I connect, I connect with this one young woman who says, who says to me, there's another party coming up and it's more like a rave. It's like a play party and less of a sex party, more a play party. So it's more about play and fun and, and, uh, and there's going to be good music. So and costumes, so you should come. So a few months later, I I reach out to the, the producers and I say, hey, I've got all this gear that I've used for this other Burning Man camp to decorate or to decorate a chill space. I could bring that and decorate this decorate the party. Mm. They say yes. I go. I meet a bunch of people there. Some of them have their own some sort of private party, and um, uh, and they invite me to decorate their party. One of those parties is a party where I met Triambica, uh, way, way before she was Triambica, mm-hmm. and uh, it's who, who is now a lead facilitator at ISTA. Yeah. Did not make the connection with ISTA back then, but it kind of got me immersed in this world of sexuality, this world of sexual exploration. Yeah. Um, so, and the gear that I had to, to decorate parties that kept on growing and growing. And I became uh, an, not an event producer immediately, but just an event decorator. And I mm-hmm. kept being invited to more and more parties, including play parties, but also dance parties and electronic dance and EDM parties. So I kept, I kept doing this. And then eventually I was asked by my friend Sherry, who was also part of Mystic Family Circus to, to take me to uh, co-produce uh, a play party called Mystic Temple of Bliss. Mm-hmm. And uh, that party was kind of a confluence of the underground tantra community, the underground uh, street performance community, and the underground dance, uh, dance, electronic dance music community. So all coming together to create something interesting that's more than just sex. Mm-hmm. 
like there's an artistic aspect to that that kind of very felt very much like burning <coughs> like burning man like there's instead of just doing something that's about sex which is fine but at the time we were like we need something a little bit more interesting than that we need yeah. tantra performance and sexual and 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 like trending dance music combined together in a space where people can play together that sounded like the best thing for us so we did that for a couple of years and during that time sorry it's a very complicated no, I story love it. that's all keep it coming somewhere. um during that time one of my friends from mystic family circus invites me to a landmark introduction mm. Can you tell, so, can you tell my yeah. listeners who Landmark is? Because it's, it's a so Landmark. Yeah. Landmark is an offshoot of Est or, or it's an evolution of Est. Est, I can't remember what Est stands for, but uh, it, it was created by um, um, Werner Erhardt, uh, both Est and it's, I think the evolution of, of <coughs> that turned into Landmark. Landmark is essentially, it's a course. It's a weekend course where you kind of like, it's a transformational course. So you trans kind of shift your perspective on a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. They call them, uh, they call them, call them distinctions. And this new perspective on a bunch of things kind of give you a better handle, a better, more effective handle on reality. So it could, it, it could just be like, you know, when somebody comes along and says, Hey, apologizing and forgiveness, that's a good thing. You know, it actually could free you. And if you know how to do a proper apology and forgiveness. And if you don't know about apology and forgiveness, you might be like, what the heck? I just hate this person. So the so apology and forgiveness is a tool that can help unlock parts of your life that otherwise would be stuck. So Landmark offers a bunch of these tools okay. and, and or dis, that they call distinctions, which essentially are definitions of words that are more useful than they were before. Mm -hmm. That's one way to look at it. Um, and, you know, if somebody's listening and they know a lot about Landmark, they will probably like, <laughs> no, that's not it. Every but, chat, we can talk about it. <clears throat> yes, that's right. So, so I do Landmark. And Landmark has a lot. And I start using these distinctions, these transformational distinctions the, that transforms one's reality into something that's more inspiring. I start using those at the play parties I'm doing. Hmm. I start bringing them into the production of it. And that in order to create a transformation, not just a fun experience for people as they do their sexual work, their sexual exploration, not just as a fun, you know, to, to turn a play party from just a fun exploration into something truly growthful and transformational. Mm -hmm. So, so I start using the tools I'm learning, including, you know, the, the advanced course, the advanced course, which is all about your words create reality. So I create a whole party that's all about how people can speak to each other and create realities that were better than before, just by the words they use. Like for people to get really clear that what they say to each other during that party, which otherwise would just be people think, you know, just feeling into their attractions, but really asking people to show up with an intention mm -hmm. or with a purpose or and say the words that speak that purpose in a really powerful way mm -hmm. and it worked <clears throat> and so so i thought wow this is this is this sexual work can also be transformational work mm -hmm. can also lead people to do inner work that creates them as better humans mm -hmm. instead of it just being about what most people look at sex as, you know, a form of getting getting your rocks off or getting pleasure or getting fun. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But what if you could add growth? Mm -hmm. What if you could add 
becoming a better human to the to the the to the um, the outcomes of going to a party, which otherwise would give you pleasure, which is great. Mm-hmm. But you know, it to me, it just seemed like the perfect match. Mm-hmm. It, it just seemed like the 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 deep primal work, deep primal and social and emotional work that comes with uh, going to a play party could also offer something that's growthful and transformational. So I started doing classes. How do you prepare for a play party? How do you set up your relationship? How do you engage with consent? That's when consent work started coming up in the community, in our communities. You know, how do you know that somebody's a real yes? Yeah. Would you, you know, why would you want that? Like, is it a good idea that everybody who's involved in this threesome are having as good of a time as the other person? Like all of these conversations started to occur more and more. Mm-hmm. And what I was creating which was, you know, a transformational type of play party became, you know, it, it just lent itself to that very well. So, and eventually started doing more couples um, play parties because uh, Mystic Temple of Bliss kind of faded away. I did, I, and I found a partner at that play party mm. at Mystic Temple of Bliss, found a play, found a partner, which then became my wife. Uh, and we started doing smaller events together that involved couples. Mm. And we also started doing smaller events that were first base and second base parties, which involved no sex, mm. but still involved some level of play and exploration, especially yeah. play and exploration with, you know, with people from the other, from, another, from other couples or just, or just like, what about a makeout party? How, how great would that be? Mm-hmm. Uh, or what about a party that's just about heavy petting? that you don't have to go anywhere. Would, would that feel safer? Would that feel like a big tease? So mm-hmm. these, are, these are all things we're exploring and having fun with. Eventually, one of my co-producers from Mystic Temple came back and said, I wanna do a bigger event. I wanna do events at clubs. Let's do second base, like you, what you've been doing in this, at a smaller scale, let's do that at a club. And so we took, we created this, this, this company called Club Exotica and we took large, groups of people hundreds of people who who would otherwise come you know come to to supper club in san francisco to have dinners on beds and it's and and we kind of call them into let's do a big party after that and let's do a party where you get to be in that exploration and that deeper commitment of of that exploration with other people in a safe environment and uh, that lasted for about 10 years wow um and during that time, I grew many of my my uh, uh, many of my class offerings, which then led me to teach a class at the the Hawaii Tantra Festival, mm-hmm. where I met Kamala Devi, Lori Handlers, and Arminta Barbour, and and Michael uh, Michael McClure, who's Kamala Devi's husband, all at the Hawaii Tantra Festival. And Araminta said, wow, you organize events and you teach classes that are very much in line with what we're doing at ISTA. You should come and do ISTA because we could use more people like you. So a few months later, I did ISTA level one and loved it and said, hey, I would be open to organizing for ISTA because I have all the skills and the gear and the sound system and all the bits that I've been using for the other parties that I'm not using currently. I would love to come and 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 put that to good to good use, wow. and so I started organizing for ISTA, and fast forward another five years, I just got accepted as an apprentice, uh, an apprentice faculty for ISTA. So I'm still organizing. I organize about seven trainings, seven ISTA trainings a year, yeah. coming coming up this year in 2022, um, and all of this because 
I went to, especially because I went to Burning Man. Because you went to Burning Man, yeah. <clears throat> I went to Burning Man. And, you know, one thing led to another, to another, to another, to another, into this expression of sexuality, which I never set out to do. Yeah. But it's always been something that was interesting to me because I didn't, at a certain level, as a, as a, the son of an engineer, I've always wanting to understand how things work. Yeah. How do people engage well together? How do people get to say yes to each other? How do people end up in conflict when they would rather not be? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do people grow together when things get crunchy? Mm-hmm. And so I've sort of evolved, evolved my own body of work around consent. Uh, you know, what is consent? What is, what is connection, trust, and consent? And, um, and it, was all, it was all by practicing in the field of, of uh, sexual exploration, which these parties where uh, a perfect example of. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I can say for anybody who's listening, Philippe is very talented at his organization of things. I just came off of my very first ISTA training level one that you organized in Southern California. And you definitely meet, you leave no stone unturned, no detail untended <laughs> to, and you participate in a way, which obviously has led to, you now be being an apprentice probably for ISTA, but your participation also as not just a, an organizer, but as a facilitator of sorts, you were my small group leader, which was very transformative for me. I think that experience was incredibly powerful. And I, I think that the way that you show up, the way that you are present, the way that you participate is also just an enormous tool in your box of how you are probably showing up as an organizer. So I can, I can just attest to your skill set there. So we've obviously talked about your journey to where you are now and more like on a professional level of how you have Mm -hmm. stepped into what it is you do for work Mm -hmm. in the space of organizing. Let's talk a little bit about your own kind of personal transformation that took place during this time then you know, stepping into the Burning Man community for the very first time and then into some of these other performance groups and and then as like a designer for the events and then leading them. Obviously, there is kind of a, a, a co-track here of what your own personal experience was like at the time. And so talk a little bit about the transformation for you that occurred from this, you know, Canadian young professional moving to the United States and to where you are today, which you can tell your own story, but you have an interesting relationship container. You have a family. Mm. And I'd just love for you to share a little bit about your own personal journey then. Mm. Yeah, it's true. So, huh, I am, so I'm, maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of speak about the, the container, uh, the relationship container that I'm in right now. Sure. And sort of See if I can backtrack back it all the way to the uh, it. back it up all the way to the beginning. Love it. Um, no, actually, I'm going to turn it around. Like I, I just remembered the inception point. So, okay. so yeah, I gave you the the, the professional as uh, the professional aspect, but then there's the personal sort of relational professional, uh, the personal relational aspect. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it all started with this one girlfriend that I had when I was, uh, I think I was in college, <clears throat> and. Um, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends when I was when I was <coughs> in high school. I was uh, I was pretty much a nerd. I was really into science and engineering and building stuff. And and so 
my my interest in engaging with girls at the time or young women as, as you know we can call them was definitely I definitely had less interest so that also may meant less practice uh, which also meant less interest which meant less practice so eventually I, I met somebody and I remember being at a bus stop it's such a such a random moment uh, <coughs> I'm at a bus stop and I look at this other woman and I'm instantly attracted to her and I and and that and that came from a perspective of like I don't even know what attraction really means. Like there's a primal element to that. Not I can look back and say there's a primal element to that. I didn't know her, so there was no emotional connection. There was just there's just a primal attraction. Mm-hmm. And immediately there was a, a counter reaction of this is wrong. I cannot do this. Mm-hmm. There was like my animal just my inner animal just kind of looked at her and said I want that. Which animals do that? Like you, your cat. If you give your cat a piece of, <coughs> you show them food, they'll say, I want that. And they, there's no judgment about it. They're just like, that smells good or that tastes good. Or I think it's going to taste good. So I want that. Uh, and so my inner animal does that. And there's another part of me that's like, no, no, culturally, I didn't think culturally, but there was a cultural sort of belief that said, no, you can't do that because you have your girlfriend who's right next to you. And I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is interesting. Uh, I didn't know what to make of it, so I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few months later, my girlfriend's sister had another friend over, and I had a similar attraction. And I and, I, and then that that kind of came up for me again. And um, and I remember thinking, wow, this I I'd love to bring that up. So I tried to bring it up with my girlfriend. It was super crunchy because I didn't know what to say other than mm-hmm. just attraction. And she's like, well, what do you want to do with that? Or you know, what does that mean? What do you know? What does that mean about me? And I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So the so the initial my initial sense of oh I have attraction that's beyond the contract the quote unquote contract that I have with this person to be their boyfriend like, that's happening mm-hmm. and it continues to happen I don't know what to do with it I, and I didn't even know there was kind of an inner animal inside of me or an inner a primal for me it felt like two sides of me that were in contradiction rather than two sides of me that are just, that are just operating sort of at some level, at some small level independently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so of course that conversation didn't really go anywhere. And eventually we broke up for different reasons. And then eventually I moved to California, <clears throat> met this person um, and we were together for six years and towards the sixth year, I'm at my acting class of all places, and I hear this word polyamory. And I think maybe that's the thing I've always wanted to know about that yeah. I could never have a conversation about. So I ordered the book. There was no Amazon back then, so I found a bookstore, ordered it, and uh, eventually the book came. It's called Polyamory, Polyamory Love Without Limits. And, uh, and it, it essentially explained what it means to love more than one person or to at least not just love but also engage be engaged sexually with more than one person and so I was like wow that's cool I I'm really curious about that so I started kind of like exploring my curiosity without actually going without actually uh, uh, without doing anything about it it was just sort of a conversation so I I talked with somebody in my acting class about it and other people that seemed to potentially have information about it or know about it or be or have relationships that seem to indicate that they were loving more than one person so some people are calling it dating 
dating openly or not dating seriously or 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 dating without commitment or there's <clears throat> there's some versions of that and there's some people who are really starting to 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 dig into that as a possible viable way of engaging with multiple people like for me <clears throat> nowadays i look at it as at some level uh, sort of doing partner acro acrobatics with their emotional body mm. with multiple with multiple people and and sure enough if you have kids you have to do that at some level mm -hmm. like you have to do that with your husband versus your kids which is you know sometimes your kids like i want to hang out with you oh but i was going to hang out with my husband or with my partner or i want to i was going to hang out with this other kid and then the other kid is unhappy and then you have to negotiate all mm -hmm. of that that's that's polyamory <clears throat> you know you, you're not sleeping with your kids but mm. oh, sometimes you're you're sleepover you're doing sleepovers right but that's you know even that can cause conflicts and so resolving these conflicts is essentially what happens between different partners that you have if you're polyamorous mm -hmm. so anyway so i started exploring that eventually had a threesome with a partner with with two friends while i was with this other person for of six years and uh and you know obviously uh, obviously that didn't work out i i felt terrible we were drunk not that, not an excuse, but certainly sure. my 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 capacity to make good judgments were impaired, and um, and eventually I felt ill. I felt ill, and I eventually told my girlfriend, and she, you know, she essentially broke up with me instantly, and uh, and I was and I kind of you know that was that was heartbreaking, sure. obviously for her, but also for me, and and uh, and I you know. From that point on, went on an exploration of two and a half years of having different lovers, and that was around the same time that I was doing the play party. So it kind of, kind of came together nicely. Right. Um, and and you know, and and it all evolved together kind of synchronously as well, because people who go to play parties are less likely to be monogamous. Let's just mm. put it this way. Sure. So so kind of when I went on that, that exploration, met my wife, who was bisexual. Uh, who's still bisexual um and and that felt like a good me that like a good match because she wanted to be able to explore with both sexes which you know i'm only half of that and i wanted to explore with other lovers and you know she's only one so mm -hmm. that seemed to be a good a good a good potential match for us to go into a relationship where we would also at least in theory and then be poly and then start to explore opening our relationship mm -hmm. and we did that we tried to do that for seven years and it was it was painful it was painful mm -hmm. and difficult partially because she wasn't feeling like going in that direction naturally uh, she was much more anxious in terms of attachment style and so that made her want to be with me way more uh than she wanted to be with anybody else she wanted me as a solid base and i was way more avoidant which made me want to be with her even less mm. it was a mess <clears throat> and so eventually um we actually tried to have a son. Uh, she got pregnant, and he was born. That instantly sent me into uh, into a sort of a, a tailspin of jealousy and abandonment. Mm. While she was essentially raising our son, I I went into a whole journey of a whole journey of grieving my old relationship with her, like our mm. partner, our deep partnership, our you know partners in crime felt more like now that that we were we had to share our space with somebody who's just barely understanding how to be alive 
Right. And that took a lot of space. And that and that made me feel like we were I was losing my relationship with her. Mm. So interestingly enough, while she was jealous the seven years before, I was more jealous than I'd ever been before. But of your and child, of the relationship she had with your child. child. Exactly. Wow. Simultaneously, I, I'm, you know, I'm the kind of person who's got massive integrity around my commitments. So for me, as hard as things were, I could not walk away. And like it was, I, I knew that she was doing the best she could. And she was doing the, not just the best she could, but the best thing for him. Mm-hmm. And I was called in the same way to do the best I could to turn around that corner uh, of abandonment in, and, and do the healing process yeah. to go around with it. That goes, that, that goes along with it. And, and really that took 10 years. <clears throat> so from the moment he was born until about, I don't know. I mean, it took three years to feel like I was done with the grieving of my old relationship, but to recreate a new relationship with her took another six. Wow. And it's, 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 it's more slow than I ever thought it would be. Yeah. Um, and this whole time we're open. So while she's spending time with him and I'm feeling abandoned, she also has less, she also needs me less. So I kind of went out mm. and essentially discovered that I was looking for her in all my other lovers. Wow. So once I realized that, you know, I, I, I did, well, I mean, at some level I got over it. And at some level I realized that she was changing to become a mother and her own person that was not in the same mode of partner in crime as we had before. Mm-hmm. Like she had changed as a person and there were things I wanted in a partner that I could not have from her unless, unless I really twisted her arm. Mm-hmm. And so essentially I, I went out to not just look for her, but essentially look for a kind of partner that I could share my life's work with, that I could teach with, that I could travel with in a way that my, my, my current, my, my now wife is not really into doing anymore, or she's open to doing some aspects of it, but not in a way that involves like working together. Yeah. And so, so that's, that's the current state of affair that we're in right now as is, you know, we're, we're in this kind of deep living together and co-parenting and, and, and at some level, deep emotional, uh, emotionally connected friendship and partnership. Yeah. And there are aspects of our relationship that are, that are, that we don't share that I'm actually able to share with another partner. Yeah. Um, and that she's able to share for her own for her own stuff that the only her own stuff she likes to do with a partner that I'm not really into she gets to do that with her boyfriend. Gotcha. So at some level it's a little bit like it's a little bit like partners who are separated, but we're not. Yeah. We live together and we're deeply connected. Um, compared to say you know uh, like friends of my son who have partners that are separated and live in different houses and you know and then the their 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 child just goes from one house to the other to the other to the other right. but for us we're like no we we want to live together we want to stay together we want to continue to nurture that relationship it's really important to us not just for each other but also for we also want that for our son mm-hmm. So, so that's what we've evolved in terms of relationship. And then on top of that, kind of as offshoots of that, we've, we've sort of, we have our own boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Um, I think there's, 
there's just infinite possibilities for relationship containers and what they can yeah. look like. And I just, sure. it's just very inspiring mm-hmm. to kind of hear the story. And and the thread that I hear throughout all of that for you specifically is like, a, like you said, a deep commitment, a deep commitment to whatever the current state of the relationship is going to be. It's something that you're committed to really staying the course with it, even in the moments where it's very difficult and probably at times felt like it was dragging you under, you know, and didn't know if you'd be yeah. able to make it work. But yeah, it sounds like there's really a beautiful, deep commitment for both of you there. Yeah, there's um, I didn't know what depression or although I was never clinically diagnosed, I, I didn't know what depression and mental illness was like until until I felt dragged under. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was I was I was under I had to take a deep breath every once in a while and just keep going crossing my fingers that at some point I would turn the corner. Yeah. Um, and that that's given me a lot of humility and uh, it's given me a lot of appreciation for people who do deep trauma work, yeah. which at some level was th- this, this life that I was in at some level was traumatic for me, but I, I cannot even imagine the, the difficulty of childhood trauma. Um, yeah. I can't even imagine what it would be like to even, to even hope to sort of sort of drag yourself out of that hole, yeah. Uh, because because I feel like what happened to me just you know was meaningful for me, but it felt so so little compared to what I see is out there. Yeah. So I have deep appreciation for people doing the work, and and I can, and that appreciation also comes with an understanding that it's slow and crunchy and difficult, and and even and and there's often not a, an end in sight. Yeah. Well, there's not, right? Like it is, it is a continuous journey. Yeah. So there's one final element that I'd love to invite into conversation today and Mm -hmm. whether or not it's something you'd like to just talk about, or perhaps, uh, perhaps this individual wants to say hello herself, but I want to talk a little bit about Blanche. Mm. Um, And I will let you do the talking there if you are, if you're open to it, um, you know, mm. I got the opportunity when we were at ISTA to witness you a little bit in some mm. transformative moments that were really beautiful and really tender and vulnerable and open. Mm. And so I don't know what your comfort level is about sharing about this, but I, I invite mm. you if you, if you choose to tell us a little bit about, um, maybe this aspect of Philippe. Mm. Yeah, she's feeling shy right now. Totally fine. But, <laughs> totally <laughs> <But no>. fine. <laughs> we honor that. We honor that. No, wait, wait. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. So there's, there's more to it than that. Um, yeah, so in this work that I've done with Ista and also kind of realization of, yeah, I don't know if I want to go into that, that full story, but it's just... I think the I think the main idea is that there was a point in my in my development and in, in a, I think it was a few years ago when I kind of started feeling and confirmed by through this work with Ista that I started feeling that there was an aspect of me that was just more feminine mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, and initially just it felt more like other people can see her if I'm dressed up the right way then I can feel her. Mm. <clears throat> and and it was and it's almost like there 
capacity to see her gave her the courage to come out more. Mm. And and I would say, I mean, this last ISTA, I mean, over over different ISTAs or different situations that give her an opportunity to come out, um, she gets more courageous. Mm. Um, so, so now I want to say, you know, so so who 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 is that? Right. <laughs> and you know, in a way, it's like it's in a way, it's my inner feminine, mm-hmm. uh, in a personified fashion. Like there's a that when when I feel her, like my you know my face feels different, my body feels different, my cock feels different. Um, I feel different. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly it's you know we we often we often think of you know different personalities coming out as as a, a sort of like a mental illness, but it, it's not necessarily that. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I'm sure everybody's just kind of played a role before whether it's in bdsm or 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 felt like their inner child is just kind of throwing a tantrum and it's causing them to just not be able to think straight and and act well with their partner so there's like emotional turmoil that will often that that will often seemingly come from aspects of us that want out or want to speak up because they because they have something important to say i feel hurt i'm having a hard time uh, I don't feel seen. I want to be seen. I want to be. I want my needs met, and um, and that's, you know, that comes out because those parts are sort of feeling separate and not connected, and they and they kind of take. They seemingly kind of take over every once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times have we been with a partner where we're like, "Fuck, how old are you right now? I cannot <laughs> believe you're a full grown ass adult." Mm-hmm. like there's nothing you're saying right now that feels like an the adult i know and love mm-hmm. and you know one way of looking at this is there's actually potentially at times or maybe all the time hiding somewhere is there's different parts that are just kind of disconnected from from the sort of the main collective of who we are and if you've seen the movie inside out mm-hmm. it kind of shows that a little bit right yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that stuff is not—it's not the truth. It's just—it's just a perspective. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, so, so Blanche is my is my inner feminine, and she's been, she comes out more as a just a much a, a softer, younger, uh, feminine aspect of me. Yeah. And so, so uh, you can't see it, but you you can see it, but most people can't see it because. But I, I had my nails done. That was mm-hmm. with my girlfriend uh, in Canada, and she was like, "Have you had your nails done?" And I'm like, no. And she's like, I let's, you know, I want, I want Blanche to have her nails done. And mm. I said, wow. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Yeah. Um, she feels a little shy about that. And and so I picked, we picked, uh, you know, the most in, pretty neutral. inconspicuous. Yes, neutral, but good enough. Yeah. And and uh and and noticeable enough that would fit for both me, who's yeah. generally older and more mature, and her who's generally younger. Um, and it's in a way, it's almost like the more she comes out, and that's been my experience, the more she comes out, the more mature she becomes. It's like the more airtime she gets, the more she gets to engage. And the more right. she gets engaged, the more she learns. Right. And sure enough, she knows a lot because, you know, her and I have the same brain and we have the same memories. Yeah. Um, it's almost like we're twins, yeah. we're Siamese twins with just one body. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So she did. She never comes out to kind of pull me out of something or out of right. emotional turmoil. She comes out when I give her the space or when she, or, or when I, when she, and more these days, she'll come out if she's invited or she feels like there's a space for her. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I hadn't really had a chance to kind of share this with you yet, but I can share it with you now that, you know, there were lots of, lots of practices that we did at ISTA that have been really kind of deeply seeding their way through me as, you know, in the aftermath of it, but the exploration of the inner feminine and the inner masculine and the marriage of the two together, it's, it's something that in witness of you, something Mm -hmm. inside of me was touched really deeply. And it was the one aspect of the week that I really had a difficult time connecting with in the moment. But in the aftermath, it's probably been the part that's with me the most. And I had no idea when people were talking, you know, people who identified as, as female at the, you know, at the week long training there were a handful of women talking about their etheric cocks and things like that. And it was something that I just couldn't wrap my mind around at all, like that feeling. (laughs) And I had a moment with mine when I got home and it was a really powerful moment. And it was one that my, my partner was present for, my husband was present for. And so it was just really interesting to see that kind of developer or me become aware of it. And also there have been some moments where I recognize what you're saying about Blanche and her kind of, I don't, you haven't used the word adolescence or, but her youth. Um, Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I'm recognizing is that my inner masculine has a lot of maturing to do. And I think that in the maturation process is where it will probably um, be able to trend more to a divine masculine rather than an immature and perhaps more toxic masculine. I think when it comes out for me right now, it probably doesn't, it doesn't present in the most divine way. So anyway, watching some of your work that week and, and the work of others, um, has just been really transformative for me. And it's also really helped me in my parenting relationship. One of my children, identifies as by gender and bisexual, Mm -hmm. and they really enjoy working with fingernail painting and they have very long hair and just, you know, we're working, working on figuring out what their expression is for themselves. And Mm -hmm. it is something that I can even talk with them about in terms of you get to have both parts and you get to really identify with both parts. And it's just not something that your generation might, we were probably in the same generation and, and it's not something that we were raised with, at least I wasn't. And it's so beautiful to be able to like work with that expression of ourselves now and also see the way that the generations coming up now are more in tune with that. And it's Mm -hmm. something that makes me hopeful (laughs) for the world. I remember when you said that, the first time or that your one of your child is bi gender because I was like, oh, that I can really relate to that. Yeah. Like not at the same time. You know, it's like usually it's like, oh, I'm it's like I'm one or the mm-hmm. other, but I also know they're both present. Right. And um and I was like, well, okay, that 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 really that really resonates. 
Yeah. And so I was really, I was, I was really glad to hear that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I would say that my parents raised me. She, they, you know, they never said this is what it's like to be a man. Mm-hmm. They, you know, I've never, I never got that as an imprint when I was growing up. It was like, well, what's going on for you? You know, what do you want? What, what are you being? And you know, naturally, I tended towards being more like my dad, and my sister at some level tended to be more like my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they, they, they never tried to imprint what it's like to be a man or a woman. So it kind of left things open. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm really grateful for that because I hear so much of toxic masculinity and, and femininity at sure. the same level Absolutely. being, this is, you know, it's, it's the reduction of, of the nuances around something that's, that can be super nuanced. It can evolve pretty much any time in your life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it does take time to develop maturity. Like you can't, you can't ever hope to give a part of you that's never gotten experience or, or airtime to be mature. Right. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, you can have reference points, like you can have really strong reference points around, around you. It could be your dad or parent or other parents or their family or friends who, who are like, wow, if I, if my, if my inner masculine was to become mature, I would want it to be when they grow up, I want it to be like this person. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that's really it's really sweet to be able to witness that. Like as they get older, as they, these inner parts get older, they're like, oh, really? You know, some form of love can feel like parental, like love, not parental, but like a love of a child towards a parent mm-hmm. or an uncle or or big brother. Mm-hmm. There's something really beautiful about that. Like we I think reparenting happens between partners and friends all the time. Constantly constantly it's like we, i mean it's like we don't really get to choose like at some point at what you know at any moment our inner part might be like oh you know really admire and look up to this person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah using those individuals it's kind of um yeah just inspirational people that we can help pattern ourselves after in that reparenting yeah. Oh, yes. If we if we've been good people, hopefully. right, <laughs> right. If you if they're magnetic uh, for you, and yeah. well, I I just really so enjoyed the time to talk with you, and I'm mm-hmm. really grateful for you being so open and so candid about not only your journey to becoming an event organizer in this type of space, but just also your own personal experience and allowing me to introduce Blanche to the podcast as well. So thank you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's the way I feel her right now. She's just sort of like, she's like right next to me over my shoulder, but she hasn't been, she, she, she doesn't really, she feels like I did a pretty good job. Good. describing her and she feels like that's good that's she good feels enough. complete she feels complete <laughs> you know it's interesting people are like are you like boyfriend girlfriend I'm like no no we're no, no. brothers and sister like we're not yeah. in but it's interesting because I feel like <coughs> like I'm in a polyamorous relationship with her with my girlfriend yeah well she's in relationship like, too yeah with all of you yeah, she's a relationship with the two of us, and uh, and she she does appreciate the two of us in a really in a really deep way, and and when we make love, it it will feel different if it's me or if it's Blanche. Yeah, it feels very 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 different. Absolutely. So, 
she was jealous that I that launch came out so much at the at the the is the train and she wasn't able to be present for it yeah yeah <clears throat> well uh will yeah. she be at level two mm, in the spring uh, in April maybe uh that hasn't decided yeah, yeah. well speaking so, yeah. of you know me getting to see you again there Tell mm -hmm. us where we can find you. Tell us where people can oh. kind of follow you if they're if you have spaces and places, whether it be social media or even just if people are interested in utilizing mm -hmm. your skills. Mm. So the best place is to find me on my website. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the best, most central place. I mean, I'm on Facebook as well, but you'll find that on my website. So uh, if you go to exquisite dark dot love because they have dot love extensions now which is fantastic mm -hmm. uh exquisite dark dot love or exquisite dot love also will work okay. um you can find me there you can see what i'm about which is you know a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of the work i do is about well this kind of sexual exploration but more precisely i do work around attachment theory and consent i have a big body of consent work that i've evolved over the years considering that i've been doing work at sex parties where consent is super important super important but also but also more recently um attachment theory has become a big nice big nuanced map for why we engage you know pulling our partners towards us or pushing them away and why that happens and how to become more secure mm -hmm. uh, that's really important and i also do some work uh some men's work called uh, remember remen yeah. Yeah, uh, men in the in the middle word. Remember brotherhood journey with a bunch of other brothers from ISTA, uh, and we basically offer a, a sort of an offshoot of the ISTA level one training. That's its own journey of brotherhood. And then beyond that, just recently, I created with my with my beloved, we created this this uh, gathering called Soul Shine Gathering, mm -hmm. and it's for people who want to come. It's five day journey, and uh, it's also similar in format to ISTA, but different. The accent and the focus is towards removing the blocks that get in the way of our soul shine, so our ability, or ability, or 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 availability to fully shine as as the deepest aspects of, aspects of ourselves, which is our soul. Mm, so beautiful. Yeah. I love I love all these things. So I'll make sure that there's links to whatever people can click on to find you. And mm -hmm. I just thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, we thank you. Super happy to chat. And I feel like I spent a whole lot of time just describing a timeline, but it's also it's, it's a journey. Like watching a, it's yeah. like watching a movie and fast forward, you know? <laughs> well, it was beautiful. It's a movie I watch again yeah. for sure. So thank you so much, Philippe. Thank you so much. Mwah. Mwah.